we are starting a new series tonight called Sorry Not Sorry. Uh, and over the next few weeks, we'll be wrestling with um, forgiveness. It's uncomfortable, it's hard, it's confronting, and it's going to be good. But to kick us all off, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for each and every single person that is here in this room. And Lord, while we are covered by your forgiveness, and it's the, one of the most incredible things for us in our day-to-day lives, forgiveness is probably one of the hardest things we have to try and do. So Lord, I pray tonight as we, as we listen and as we press into this, may you speak to us. May you free the hearts and the minds of the people here in this place tonight so that we can understand the way that you view forgiveness, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I want to start tonight by describing a scenario that guaranteed almost everybody in this room has experienced. You would have experienced it when you're probably a little smaller and a lot younger, uh, probably under the ages of 10. Uh, The scenario goes like this. You've done something, whether it be stolen a toy, taken someone's afternoon snack, or said something that's just generally upset another child, and they're bawling their eyes out, and you're off because you're like, yeah, it's like, I got away with it. But all of a sudden, your caregiver or your parent catches you out and says something along the lines of, Bernie, go and say sorry to Jimmy. Who remembers throwing a bit of a fit when they got caught out for those types of things? Anyway, so you, you, hear, you hear this, and you're like, oh, do I have to? And that yes would always be the response. There would never be any negotiating there. It's like, Always you have to go and apologize. So frustrated and annoyed and a little bit embarrassed, you kind of shuffle over to Jimmy. And you wouldn't look at him and you're trying to force these two words out of your mouth. And I say force because everything within you does not want to say them. To the point of when you're about to say it, you're looking at the floor, you're doing this weird thing with your leg. And you're just like, I'm sorry. It just comes out in this weird, blurry, slurry mess. And then your caregiver again goes, what was that, Bernie? Say it like you mean it. Cue the biggest hump any small child could muster, usually with a throw of the arms, like, all right. I'm sorry for taking your G.I. Joe, Jimmy. Here you go. And without looking, you kind of just hold the toy out at them. They take it from your hand and you run away and go hide in a bush for the rest of your time at preschool. So that last bit might have just been me. But how many memories did I just trigger of the times you got in in trouble with your parents for taking something and you were forced to apologize? Okay, we've got four honest people in the place tonight. That's good. Or there's a few more that are kind of like, oh, my mom will see me if I say this. Um, But the thing is, we've we've all had a a situation like this happen uh, when we were a kid. um, And almost all parents uh, would have witnessed this at some point too. And um, probably like a side point, I've probably just you know done something horrible to a few parents where they've realized they've just become their parents by the way that they treat their children and they've done that exact same thing and they swore that they never would ever do it, but they have now. So they're having a little bit of a crisis. I apologize for that. But at the same time from September, I'll probably be doing the same thing. So we should probably just embrace it, right? One yip. Let's carry on. The words, I'm sorry, are two of the most uncomfortable words to say, but two of the most welcome words to hear, especially when we've been on the receiving end of some kind of hurt. Hearing I'm sorry from the person that hurt you brings a sense of justice and can lead you to a place where redemption and reconciliation can take place. 
but sometimes it, it, it doesn't. On the flip side of things, never hearing it can keep you in an uncomfortable state of limbo. Did that person even know they hurt me? They must have known. It was obvious. They surely must know, but they never apologized. This uncomfortable place, this limbo can feel like a maze with no exit to it. We'll come back to this in a bit, in a bit later. To put a couple of examples of these things out there, here are two more quick stories from my childhood before we move on. Story number one, a.k.a. the fatal slap. One day, when I was a lot younger, my family was going on a road trip somewhere. I have no idea where we were going, but we were going somewhere. Anyway, all three of us kids were sitting on the back seat. Somehow I had ended up in the middle seat, probably as a buffer of peace and tranquility to keep my chaotic siblings away from each other. Things are going okay. It's been at least 10 minutes since the last Are We There Yet? And the seventh round of the Who Can Keep the Jaffa From Melting In Your Mouth The Longest championship had just wrapped up, with my father once again claiming victory. Then something happened that I will never forget. Maybe it was the orange food coloring used in the Jaffa. Maybe it was a delayed sugar rush. Maybe my brother was just struck with a moment of madness. We will never know. But he starts jumping around. Well, as much as he could in a safe seat-belted environment. Moving and yelling and pushing and complaining, causing quite the commotion. Disregarding our pleas for him to stop, he just carried on. Next thing we knew, my father's giant hairy palm reached round from behind his seat. Now, just need to pause here at this part of the story. Because what is about to happen was okay at that point. And now is not okay. So please, please, please don't go calling the authorities of my parents. They're generally good people, I promise. We carry on. Down came that palm swiftly and firmly. And you know um, when you hear those stories about like people who are in those horrendous accidents and they say like they saw everything happen in like extreme slow motion? This is what happened. I was watching the hand and to my shock and to my horror, not the hand was not heading towards my brother's bare exposed leg, but mine. Crack! My innocent leg went pink and puckered up quickly, revealing my father's giant handprint on the inside of my calf. The back seat of the car went deadly quiet. My body reeled in the injustice of the moment. The sheer shock of the situation only gave me one way of replying. With salty tears pouring down my face, I let out a small whimper. Why'd you hit me? My father apologized instantly. That coupled with an ice cream brought at a later date seemed to bring about a sweet justice that I forgave my father for this outrageous grievance. Story number two. AKA a McDonald's mystery. So this story, as the title does state, includes a bit of a mystery, and maybe as you listen to it, you'll be able to help me solve it. The story begins when I was about eight at New Zealand's favorite family restaurant, McDonald's. I had just recently graduated from only being able to eat Happy Meals to now being able to order some of the more adult-sized burgers. I'd been looking forward to this day for a long time, and I knew exactly what I wanted to get. A Big Mac combo. Ooh. I gave my mum the order and went to the playground, ever listening for the call to come and claim my delicious burger-shaped prize. 
I had just thrown a series of well-aimed ball pit balls at my brother when over the McDonald's intercom came the voice of my mother, it was time to eat. I rushed out of the playground and ran to our table. There on the table was my Big Mac combo, but next to it was something I had not expected, a shiny gold king-size crunchy bar. I looked at my mother wide-eyed. Is this for me too? She explained there was part of some promotion. I didn't really listen. My eyes were lost in that beautiful golden wrapper. A delicious treasure had made its way into my possession and I wasn't going to let anyone take it from me. I was going to save it for an after-meal treat and it was going to be so, so good. I ate my Big Mac with glee, checking to make sure my crunchy bar was still there, untouched, safe, my, my precious. Anywho, I, I, I finished my meal and it was time to play on the playground again. And now here is where the mystery comes into play. Now I'm sure I charged my parents with the ultra important task of guarding my beloved crunchy bar. I left the table knowing it would be safe. Little did I know, my little nugget of gold was about to vanish without a trace. I had just slid down the slide for what felt like the hundredth time when once again my mother came over the intercom. It was time to leave. I rushed out and we went straight to the car. Mom, can I have my crunchy bar? My mother uttered the words that shattered my little world. I thought you had it. It wasn't there on the on table when we left. We'd already left the McDonald's car park at this point. There was no turning back. My little heart sank and tears welled up in my eyes. Where's my crunchy bar? This is a question I've had to wrestle with for the last 21 years. No one has confessed. No one has come clean. I am still without closure. Someone stole my crunchy bar and shattered my dreams all in the same moment. What kind of person does that? My precious crunchy bar gone, vanished, taken by some horrible, sinister villain that hates children and only wants to destroy dreams. How dare they? We all end up wrestling with forgiveness in some way or another. Whether it be about small grievances like a slap in the leg or massive heart-destroying tragedies like vanishing crunchy bars. Forgiveness and saying I'm sorry is something we struggle with. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at forgiveness in a number of different ways and in a number of different contexts. Tonight, though, I want to look at how we approach forgiveness, then bring that up against how God views forgiveness. Because as people who believe in Jesus, we want to try and line it up as best as possible. Luckily for us, though, God's grace covers the distance between those two standards, but we still need to try our best. I find it fascinating, and, and it's in part why I chose to bring up those three stories, because in a way, the way in which we approach forgiveness for a lot of us hasn't evolved beyond how we approached it when we were kids. What's scary about that is our caregivers aren't around anymore to call us out on things anymore. For a lot of what we think and feel, we have to be the one to pull ourselves up. And forgiveness is no exception to that. My fear is that it's very easy for us to adopt a very surface level, disingenuous approach to forgiveness. We seem to uh, 
pair up forgiveness with saying sorry, that it's all okay as soon as you say it, which isn't true because we say sorry a lot and a lot of the time we don't actually mean it because we use it as a platitude to find acceptance and to be liked. For the majority of the time when we say sorry, we're not actually attempting forgiveness at all. We're just trying to get out of an uncomfortable situation that we're currently in. And that, that stings a little bit. And that's where the name of the series comes from. The idea that someone, the, to someone's face you say, I'm sorry, but then kind of like behind your hand to your friends, you go, I'm not really that sorry. It sounds like an episode of the Kardashians, but I bet that you've felt this way in some, at some point, whether you've been on the receiving end or on the delivering end. It can go deeper than this too. We really struggle to forgive those that we feel don't deserve it. We run through this list of things that the person needs to do in order to make themselves right with us again. It's like we have this massive checklist. Okay, once you've done this, you move on to this. And once you've done that, you do this. And once you've done that, you buy me a pony. And, and maybe in about f- five years, you can get some forgiveness. We can also be unaware of the times that we need to seek out forgiveness from others. We're quite a self-focused people, unaware of our selfish ambition and how it can affect the lives of other people. And so we need to try and see beyond ourselves to see how our actions could potentially hurt others. Ultimately, though, unforgiveness is a poison that can eat away at us. Just like Colin talked about last week in his sermon about the way that the same way that sin not only impacts our vertical relationship with God, it also interrupts and impacts our lateral, lateral connections with others. Unforgiveness does the same thing. To summarize, the hard-hitting truth is that we're really missing the mark on forgiveness. We're really off track from where God probably wants things to be. Now, as we look to the scriptures, the Greek word, and I'm going to say this wrong, aphimi, A-P-H-I-E with a little dash above it, M-I, word of the week for you, uh, together with its noun aphesis, an easy word to say, which is the noun version of said previous word, are the most frequently used uh, words to express the concept of forgiveness in the Gospels, with a wide range of meanings, including let go, cancel, remit, leave, set aside, forsake and let alone, it begins to paint a a bit of a picture of how God views forgiveness. This is reinforced by another part that I want to share with you about it. It's a story that we find in Matthew called the parable of the unmerciful servant. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Matthew 18 uh, verse 21. If you don't, that's okay too. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or in some translations, 70 times, seven times. I just want to pause there for a moment, just for a bit of Bible trivia for you. Because Jesus is being incredibly clever at this point. I guess that kind of comes with the whole being God thing. But what he's quoting here, or what he's referring to is actually something that happened all the way back in Genesis. Now, the New Century Bible commentary states the following. The numbers 7 and 70 times 7, or 77, are reminiscent of the words of Genesis 4.24 concerning vengeance. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. 
if you want to find out who those guys are, jump back to Genesis and read that, but they're dudes from back then. Um, the Unlimited Revenge of Primitive Man, this, the commentary goes on to say, The Unlimited pr- Revenge of Primitive... Huh, mouth wobbles. The Unlimited Revenge of Primitive Man has given place to the unlimited forgiveness of Christians, but it does not carry with it the unlimited opportunity to sin. So Jesus is basically saying to Peter, you can never forgive enough. Our forgiveness should be limitless. Let's carry on with the passage as Jesus introduces the parable or story. He goes, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to re- in order to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. We love this part of the story because we place ourselves directly in that in terms of our interactions with God. We're off scot-free. Our, our punishment for the sin is, is gone. It's erased. It's great. We don't have to face it anymore. And that's great, but Jesus, unfortunately, doesn't end the story here. And we probably also find ourselves a lot in the second half of the story as well. So this, the parable continues in verse 28. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servants just as I had had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you give your brother or sister from your heart or forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So Jesus here makes it pretty clear that forgiveness is important. And what this parable does is actually holds up a mirror to us and questions the way we practice forgiveness. Are we like the king? Do we forgive and release people from our grasp? Or are we like the servant holding our wrongdoers by the throat, never letting them go? Something that for me speaks loudest about what was brought up in this parable and how we compare our view on forgiveness to God's view on forgiveness is around the whole idea of choice. In that parable, the king heard the apology and chose to forgive the man. He chose to do it, erase that debt. The servant, the servant, even though he had the equal opportunity to do the same thing, chose not to. And I think that's a key or a first step when it comes to this whole forgiving stuff. Choosing to do it. Choosing to see it through. We're always amazed by the stories of people uh, who stand up, whether it be in court, like we saw in Monica's talk two weeks ago about that girl who stood up and faced her accuser. And this is a person who's done horrendous things to, to them, to the victim. And these people stand up 
and they they talk about the things that this person did to them and then says these words, I choose to forgive you. Even though you've hurt me and those memories will never fade, I choose to forgive you. I choose to set you free. It's powerful, powerful stuff and it floors us when we see that because strangely, it's very different from the way we approach forgiveness in our normal lives. We ask the question, how could that person possibly forgive that other person? Whereas we should be saying that same question about how could I not forgive my younger brother for making me my leg get hit? Which if you think about it, is confronting because that's how God views the forgiveness of our sin. Sin at, at its core is rebellion. It's us saying, stuff you God, I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. And that hurts to the core. It's crushing. But because of what Jesus did, God chooses to wipe away the consequences of our decisions, chooses to forgive, chooses to not make us pay for the debt, for the grievances we've caused him. Forgiveness doesn't mean things are automatically eradicated from our memory, which is clear in that parable. Even though the king had erased that guy's debt, he still knew about it. He still was able to recall it. The saying forgive and forget, I believe, is a load of nonsense because that memory or that hurt or that thing, will it will always kind of be there. And to actually do forgiveness, the process of to know the fact that that it's there, and instead of choosing to wrap our hands around the throat of the one that hurt us or the person who did it, and holding them and revisiting it and making them pay, it's again and again choosing not to return to it. Again and again choosing to be acknowledge that it's there, but I, I've forgiven them. I've set that person free. I don't need to go back to that again. The more accurate saying that maybe we should try to live by is to forgive and choose not to return to it. As a final thing to mention before I begin to wrap this whole thing up, I want to talk about how unforgiveness can mess with our minds. We've already talked about how it can be a poison in our veins and how it can you know, affect our relationships with others and affect our relationships with God, but it can also greatly impact our internal conversation. Now, I as you're probably aware, have a bad habit with telling stories. I like to enhance them a little bit of added, with a bit of added creativity. Vika would agree with this as she's witnessed it firsthand numerous times. If I have a story that I end up telling multiple times, guaranteed the final version of that story will be a blown-up version of the, what actually happened. Especially if there's a significant number and there, 50 people very quickly turn to 100 people, 100 people turn to many more very fast. Even those stories I told you tonight, you know, were indulged with a healthy helping of creative fabrication. The crunchy bar thing actually happened though. Why am I telling you this? Well, our memories have unlimited creative control. They can make memories of things grow wild if we let them, to the point that they're not as truthful as they used to be. Our memories are not like photographs. The way we look back at situations will never be as clear as the moment in which we lived it. So it's important that when we remember and reflect on situations, we try our best to remember rightly. Otherwise, we can fabricate things happening or words said or people being a certain way that never actually took place. Our mind loves to fill gaps in the story. Sometimes it fills it with things that aren't helpful when it comes to forgiveness. Take my crunchy bar example for 
Take my crunchy bar story, for example. I have no idea who took my crunchy bar. In my mind, some terrible villain stole it from me just to hurt me. Where in reality, it could have easily just been my father who loves me, wanting a delicious chocolate snack and was planning on replacing the one he ate. I'll never know. But my mind has no issue fabricating this whole false narrative. We do this probably more frequently than we'd like to admit. So it's worth taking time and reflecting over the scenarios in our mind and examining whether or not our minds has had a bit of creative license over those memories. I always find that for me to grab clarity, because this has happened to me a number of times, reflecting on situations that I feel like this person said this because they, they loathe me. It's actually sitting down and talking with that person, clearing the air, actually trying to grab clarity from that moment is when I actually am able to get that, which is challenging and hard because some situations are really hard to do that in, but it is part of the whole forgiveness thing. It's choosing to explore and choosing to try and make things right. So my prayer tonight is that as we go from this place, we're challenged to think about forgiveness in a deeper way. To call yourself out when you're just using I'm sorry as a platitude to get past an awkward situation. To pull yourself up when you find yourself holding the neck of someone else in unforgiveness and bitterness. Forgiveness is a hard, is hard and it is a choice. A choice that we have to keep on making even though that memory is there and it hurts. It's choosing to release, to let go, to leave, to set aside, to set someone free of the cage of unforgiveness even if they don't deserve it. Can I encourage you with one final thought before I pray and the band can come out now? A lot of us will be scared to let go, to choose to forgive because we feel like the person hasn't paid enough or you haven't experienced enough justice in order to let them off the hook. God promises that everyone has to stand before him and be held accountable for their actions. That includes the people that you feel like you can't forgive. If God can forgive the billions of people that have hurt him over the course of history, we need to try and start to let go of the throats of those few that have hurt us. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray. Jesus, forgiveness is challenging. Forgiveness is hard, and I know that I am on a personal journey with it myself, and I know there's many people here who it's something that they wrestle with. My prayer tonight is that you meet with each and every single one of us in a, in a personal way. May you come, may you bring your light, may you bring your love, and may you intimately work on the hearts and the souls of each one of us here, Lord. Help us to let go. Help us to release our grip on those that we hold in a state of unforgiveness. May we be a people who try and fight for reconciliation. May we be a people who try and practice forgiveness in a way that the rest of the world says is idiotic. But Lord, I pray for those right now who feel trapped. Maybe they're in a, they feel like they're trapped in a state of unforgiveness because of somebody, what, else, what somebody else has done and maybe they're beating themselves up. Lord, I pray you bring truth. And you bring your freedom in that situation right now, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And Lord, we don't want anything to stand in the way of what you're wanting to do in this place.
In your name we pray. Amen.